Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. She was a ripple in a river that stretched back more than 2,000 years. She was so sure she'd found her place in the world. The May that she sat for her thesis defense, cherry blossoms were bursting out all over the campus. She'd written her dissertation about shadows and Ovid and Virgil. The topic was obscure, but she'd enjoyed the obscurity. The word itself, umbra, long and low, like a hum. She'd had a side project too, one her advisor had encouraged. One her advisor had encouraged her to turn into a monograph or at least a series of articles. The women who survived. Few women had survived. The Greek Greco-Roman myths and legends. The stories were thick with death. This is GP Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Rowan Hisayo Buchanan about her new book, Starling Days. In this beautiful story about love, mythology, and coping with mental illness, we meet Mina tossing a sandal over the edge of the George Washington Bridge. Mina has already terrified her husband, Oscar, by overdosing on their wedding day. When he's sent on a business trip to London, Oscar hopes Mina will be calmed and perhaps cured by the new surroundings. Then he's called back to the States, leaving his fragile wife on her own. Hi, Rowan. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Gilly. Thank you so much for having me on your show. So congratulations on your book. How is this release going in the face of a global pandemic with shelter-at-home orders in most places in the world? Well, it's not out until tomorrow, so I don't know exactly, but I'm excited that I'm going to be trying my first Instagram live event on Astoria Bookshop's page on April 17th, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that. So how did you come to write Starling Days? So this is my second novel. My first novel um, was a book called Harmless Like You. And Starling Days came from a lot of places, as I think many books do. But in particular, it came from the fact that when I was very young, much younger than the main character of Starling Days, I was 15, I went through a period of very, very serious depression and my relationship with the people around me changed and they perceived me very differently at that time. And then later I got older and I was okay and I found myself in the opposite position where there were people that I loved and cared about who were going through mental health crises and who suddenly needed me. And I found myself thinking about the way in which a mental health crisis can shift and shape and change a relationship between two people and that all was mulling through my brain and eventually these characters came to me Mina and Oscar who've just gotten married when Mina is picked up on George Washington Bridge by the police because they think she's going to jump and they won't let her go home unless someone will come take care of her 
the person who comes is Oscar, her husband. Why does she tell him at that point that everything is fine, that she was just going for a walk? I think because she hasn't fully grasped what's happening yet. And she wants everything to be normal. She wants this to be just a strange moment, a strange episode. And she spends much of the rest of the book trying to come up with a story or a reason for what that happens. And she looks to medical science. She finds out she has polycystic ovary syndrome. And she thinks, is this why she's a classicist? And so she's reading the myths and she's looking for stories of women who survive disaster and gods and thinking, how do you become a woman who survives? She looks in her her romantic life and she thinks about this woman she meets and she thinks if I find this woman can I go back to myself can I become this happy strong person but it takes her a while to work through all of that and in this first moment she's just panicked and she doesn't know what to say. Does does Mina have a diagnosed illness and if so what what is her prognosis? So in the book it talks about how she has a mood disorder, but her therapist isn't exactly sure what mood disorder it is because she was diagnosed for the first time when she was young and she was on medication and she was very functional and then it stops working. And this book starts when she's in her 30s and it stopped working. So there isn't an explicit diagnosis. She's not explicitly bipolar or manic depressive or borderline personality disorder, but she is in care for a mood disorder. Why would a doctor agree to letting her go off her medication, which we learn about at some point? So her doctor, to some extent, has to respect her choice, but she doesn't fully reveal everything that's happening to her doctor. She just says she wants to stop taking it because it stopped working and that she has all these things in place, but she's not as open as she might be about the full extent of what's happening. She doesn't tell her doctor about the incident on the bridge, for example. Uh Uh-huh. So your book is, it's international, intercultural, a lot of interesting interconnectivity. And you yourself right now, we're talking, uh, I'm in Chicago, you are in Inverness, Scotland, which is incredibly cool that we're able to have this conversation. Um, Mina's husband is scarred actually from growing up half of one thing and half of another. And um, let's talk about his relationships, his relationship with his father, the mother, etc. Okay. So for Oscar, one of the things that he's trying to deal with is that he's pulled in two directions. He has this wife who he wants to take care of, but he doesn't exactly understand what's gone wrong or what's happened with her. But on the other hand, he works for his father and he really wants to impress his father to show that he can take on the mantle of the family business. But he's not close to his father because his father wasn't around when he was growing up. He's the child of a one night stand. And while his father was there for him financially when he was young, he wasn't there emotionally really he was they weren't close and so as Oscar is trying to take on the family business which is a Japanese import export business 
his Japanese isn't great and he's trying to learn it via language apps to become this person worthy of his father's legacy. And so having this disaster with his wife has put him in a bit of a tailspin too, because he doesn't know how to balance the two. He's a real interesting character. Why is making lists so important to Oscar? So Oscar is someone who really values control and order. And so when he is worried or anxious about something, he makes lists, he prioritizes. At one point in the book, he talks about triaging, which is this idea that you can split everything into what is so gone wrong that you can't fix it fine and will fix itself and then you deal with the middle you deal with the things that aren't a disaster but aren't going to handle themselves and it's from the French army (laughs) this idea and so he very much sees his life as a battlefield and these lists are his ways to get through it Mm-hmm. Does he understand the severity of Mina's mental condition? She's not that reliable of a storyteller, and it's it's not clear. Has he been given incorrect information? She does tell him very early on that she has this issue, but at the time that she tells him, she says she has it under control, and she does. And so he knows about it. It's not a secret. But when it begins to become a much bigger force in his life, he's very frightened. He might not put it that way, but he is. And he fluctuates between thinking, okay, we can just solve this. It's not that big a deal. We can solve it with lists and with order and with giving her constructive activities. And between being completely unable to deal with it so when he makes an effort and it doesn't work immediately he doesn't know necessarily what to do next which I don't want to give too many spoilers but causes some of the drama in the later half of the book and him to react as badly as he does. Why does he think that moving to London will help her condition? I think there are two things going on for him One, going to London for him is going home. He grew up in the UK and he has been working in America. So on some level, this is perhaps a retreat for him. But also he thinks, okay, if we can change the visible things, if we can change the practical things, then maybe we can change what's going on inside because when she's telling him about why she was on the bridge, she talks about how she was tutoring a student and she just started crying and she couldn't stop and that that was unprofessional and how is she supposed to keep doing her job if this is going to happen to her? And he thinks, okay, if I can give you a break from your job, if I can give you this space away that's also constructive because he's in London to do some work for his father, so it'll be this great practical solution... And that's not exactly what happens next. Right. Um, So we're going to change direction here. Plants and flowers play an important role in the book. So I would like to know what's your relationship, Rowan, with plants and flowers? Well, I'm named after a tree. 
growing trees or these small trees they're about this size of a cherry tree and they grow in a lot of places but also in Scotland and they're supposed to keep away witches so perhaps I have always had trees and plants in the back of my mind but I think they're also important for the book because the book is much about cities and the sort of coldness and harshness of cities and plants and nature become a relief in a way for the characters. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a couple of other characters. Oscar's oldest friend, Theo, who saves Oscar from a social catastrophe in middle school. Let's talk about him. Okay, so Theo is Oscar's best friend. And while Oscar wants to have everything under control, he's also juggling a lot. You know, he's mixed race. He's the child of a one night stand. He's slightly not cool, not natural at the world, even though he really wants to be. Whereas Theo is this person to whom everything seems to come so easily. He's British in this way that feels very natural and in control. And so when he adopts, not as a parent, but as a friend, Oscar in in boarding school, he is telling Oscar, you can fit in, you can be, quotes, normal, which is something Oscar desperately wants to be. Mm -hmm. What about his sister? So Thea's sister is someone called Phoebe. And she was always the younger one hanging around. And when they were much younger, and this is, you know this very early on in the books, this isn't a spoiler. Oscar had actually kissed Phoebe once. But when they meet again, he's not that impressed by her. And the person who begins to develop large and dramatic feelings is actually Mina, who sees Phoebe as this beautiful, interesting British woman who understands so much about art and is creative and around whom she finds herself feeling just a little bit happy. Mm-hmm. Did you um, choose the name Phoebe in connection with um, Mina studying mythology? Let's talk about that. So when Mina first meets Phoebe and she has this impression of Phoebe as this bright glowing thing she has in the back of her mind Phoebus Apollo the sun god and she thinks wow is it the name that has caused this woman to grow up to be so bright and beautiful or did her parents somehow intuit that this was the person this is going to be of course the reader may also think that Phoebe has left this impression in Mina's mind because Mina is a classicist and knows the history and actually goes back and later remembers that Phoebus Apollo is called Phoebus Apollo because of his grandmother who is called Phoebe. And so she weaves Phoebe into being this big mythological creature almost in her life. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about her studies and the research she's doing? Of course. So... Mina has finished her PhD and she's adjuncting or at the beginning of the book, she's adjuncting and she's tutoring to get a little bit of extra cash, but she's trying to write this big academic paper about 
the women who survive myths because she points out that most of the women who are important enough to be named and to be real characters in the myths either die or perhaps even more interestingly are transformed into something else and she thinks okay so what what does it take in the myth to survive but as the more she thinks about this the more she thinks well what does it mean even to survive how long do you have to survive for it to count as survival there are women who survive one myth only to die in the next there are women um Iphigenia who there are multiple versions of the myth and she survives in some of them and dies in others. She's sacrificed by her father and the question is, is she secretly saved or not? And so it becomes a way of Mina thinking about what it means to be a woman, what it means to survive and trying to find a pattern in her own life. Mm-hmm. Another uh, thing that comes up again and again is birds. Um, let's first discuss the title of your book, Starling Days. How did you come to that? So I would love to say it came easily, but it took a very long time. I had a working title that both my agent and my editor quite rightly said was far too gloomy sounding and (laughs) no one would ever read this book. And so we came up with different titles. I sent found some that my agent liked but my editor didn't and vice versa and in the end the deadline was coming up and they said okay you have a week you have a week to come up with the title otherwise there was a title they both liked that I didn't and they said we're gonna go with that and that week weirdly was a week in which I was supposed to go on a summer holiday with my partner's family in which I was terrible because they would keep looking at me and going are you okay and I would sort of glower at the end of my nose and say yes yes I'm fine thank you I'm sorry I'm just trying to think of a title I was sort of muttering all these different words and all these different ideas and eventually Starling Days came to me because I wanted both the idea that this is a short period of time in this couple's life it's not forever these are just a few months and the idea of migration and of change. And one of the things I particularly love about starlings is that they're both incredibly beautiful birds and also kind of assholes. They steal each other's eggs. A group of starlings once landed on Big Ben and moved the arm of the clock so it was the wrong time. They embody all of this cruelty and beauty that was what I wanted this book to be about and to think about and they also appear in a very important chapter of the book Mm -hmm. Um, another place birds come up uh, the wallpaper in the London flat goes on across several chapters what can you tell us about that okay so The wallpaper in the flat that Mina and Oscar have gone to is these weird, dark, creepy-eyed birds. It's actually based on a William Morris wallpaper that's quite acclaimed and is beautiful, but it's very dark and full of tangled vines. And Mina can feel these birds watching her all the time. 
And Oscar's job is to sell this flat that his father has and to sell the flat above it because his father bought them both when they were worth much less money. And he said, okay, your job is my employees to sell these flats. And Oscar comes up with the idea that rather than getting in some decorators, given that Mina seems to need something constructive to do, they will strip this wallpaper and paint the flats together. And it will be this constructive activity that will help her get better. But then for various reasons, he has to leave and she's alone with these birds. And she begins to think, okay, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can prove to him I can be the woman he married. And she begins to try to strip this wallpaper off herself. And things devolve from there. Mm -hmm. So we can keep talking about the characters in the book and the story itself. But what we haven't gotten across is the... Um, just absolutely beautiful writing. It's very rich and evocative. I'm interested to know who are you, who are the authors you love? Who are you influenced by? How did you, how did you become this writer who makes somebody sit all day unable to put a book down? I'm speaking personally. Firstly, thank you so much for speaking personally and for reading the book and spending the time with it that means a lot to me because I know how many books you are sent and how many good books there are out there I think it's hard to put my finger on one particular influence but I do think of this book as having sort of two patron saint books One is a novel by the Japanese writer Natsume Soseki called Kokoro that is about love and suicide and friendship gone wrong. And the other is um, Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Mm. Woolf. One reader who read the flower scene pointed out, and I very much agree that book was a huge influence on me when I was growing up and beginning to read real literature and thinking about what it could do and I love the idea of putting this Chinese American woman and this half Japanese half British man in London and thinking about the ways in which the world they were looking at has changed from Mrs. Dalloway's world, but also the ways in which it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, what are you working on next? Um, at the moment, you warned me about this, <laughs> that you were going to ask me. Um, but I have to admit that at the moment, I'm in those first early tiny wobbly chapters when I don't know if what I'm working on is going to come to anything at all but I very much hope it does you might not hear from me for a few years I have a lot of patience I'll wait to hear from you <laughs> thank you Rowan this has been just delightful and much luck on your um release tomorrow I hope it all goes swimmingly even though everybody's stuck inside reading 
I hope. Thank you so much, Billy. It's been an honor to be on your show and thank you for such thoughtful questions. It always tells me so much about a reader to or your reading experience to see what questions you asked and these were wonderful questions. Thank you. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is J.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Rowan Hisayo Buchanan, author of Starling Days. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle's an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As New Book Network listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash nbn forward slash join.